G'day, I'm Ian Swain, the owner of Swain Destinations, and welcome to G'day with Ian Swain. Today will be a fantastic interview, and one I've looked forward to for a while, as not only will I be speaking to a great mate of mine, but we'll also learn about a favourite topic of mine, Wines of Australia. Jim Carricker owns the Louise, a small boutique hotel located amongst the vines in the famed Barossa Valley, north of Adelaide in South Australia. Let's welcome Jim and find out some more. So welcome, Jim. Good morning, Ian. Nice to see you and talk with you. Jim, I know you're not an Aussie, so tell us the story of how you managed to own and operate the Louise in the Barossa Valley. So Ian, actually, uh, my wife Helen and I are now both Aussies and Americans. I apologize. About seven years ago, after having lived in Australia for a dozen years, we uh, became Australian citizens as well as uh, we retain our U.S. citizenship. So we have a, a, a bit of a du dual loyalty to uh, two magnificent countries. Uh, to answer specifically your question, uh, I had a career in technology based in Northern California, 30 years in high tech, and part of my uh, business travels took me to Sydney and Melbourne and other parts of Australia all through the 1980s and 90s. I, I think I my passport was stamped about 20 times in those two decades. And on at least half of the business trips, uh, Helen would come join me and we'd take a week and go explore Australia. So all the way to the broom on the West Coast and discovering the Red Center and going to the beautiful beaches and often enough to the uh, beautiful wine regions of Australia. I mean, Australia is one of the finest sources of uh, premium wine in the world. And we were enjoying those experiences time after time after time. In year 2000, uh, it was time for me to retire, but this was fairly early in age years for me. And Helen and I felt like we had something else we would want to do. And the decision was to become hoteliers. And the motivation and maybe the inspiration for the type of hospitality that we decided that we wanted to be involved in uh, was our own set of uh, visits from the South Bay of San Francisco up into Napa Valley and staying for a weekend at a place like Auberge de Soleil, a destination restaurant with lovely guest rooms overlooking a great wine region. And so uh, in 2001, 2002, we decided we'd actually like to create and run a business like that. And so in 2004, we acquired a lovely, well-positioned motel on a gentle hilltop uh, in the middle of the Barossa Valley. And then over the course of the next few years, converted it into what has become the Louise and Appalachian, and more recently, uh, an additional uh, restaurant on the property called 375. We're thankful that you came to the Barossa Valley and created um, both Appalachian and the Louise because it's been well welcomed within the tourism industry. I've been there many times, as you know, and Linda and I enjoy ourselves every time, sometimes a little too much. But this is what the Barossa is all about, having good times. Let's talk about the rooms and suites of the property, though, for a minute. So they, the guest rooms are all all suites. So they're 15 uh, rooms. It's an intimate boutique hotel. Uh, we have a staff of uh, about 45. So our staff to guest ratio is probably more like what you would find on a, 
find cruise ship or uh, a, a place that's the, very focused on lots of guest attention and concierge services and, uh, and such. Uh, the rooms uh, have fireplaces, they have uh, private gated courtyards, they, each one has a private rear terrace that looks right out over the adjacent vineyards because the, the site is on the top of a hill. You've got beautiful vistas uh, uh, from each of the guest rooms. I think the, the, the feature that we hear most uh, from the guests is that the rooms have private outdoor showers in addition to uh, inside showers and spa tubs. And I, I think people like that as a little bit of a special wow factor during their stay. Of course, there's the Appalachian, as you mentioned, which is one of Australia's finest restaurants. Was the Appalachian based on any particular fine dining restaurant you found around the world when you were scouting out destinations? It's probably an amalgamation of uh, experiences uh, and mostly in uh, areas outside of cities. So uh, we, we felt like sharing the best of local ingredients and prepared uh, with local talent would be what guests would, uh, would be wanting. That's the type of thing that we have wanted when we would go to Provence or to um, uh, the area outside of Mendoza uh, or uh, in, into the regional areas of New Zealand where the lodges uh, have uh, beautiful dining as a part of their stay. Um, we have often stayed in properties that market with the international brand Relais Chateau. And so some of the characteristics of modern Relais Chateau restaurants were uh, inspiration and, and guidance for us. And for the last five years, we've been uh, a member and a part of uh, Relay, as well as a founding member of the group in Australia, called Luxury Lodges of Australia. Well, the Luxury Lodges of Australia, you were one of the, um, the partners that actually founded the group, you and James, obviously, and started it off together and created it. And uh, we've interviewed Penny before on this show, and we interviewed uh, James Bailey as well. So it's a, it's a great, um, Great honor to have you on this show as well. But you mentioned there's another restaurant, which I wasn't aware of. I haven't seen, I should say, yet 375. Perhaps you could explain that and why you decided to have another one open. And since the most recent visit that you and Linda have made, we have been following something that, that uh, we were learning about from our guest. Uh, the Barossa now has quite a number of great places uh, for uh, visitors to, to eat. Not only our Appalachian restaurant, which is probably the, the cream of the crop in terms of uh, a special occasion, uh, memorable experience at restaurant. Uh, but if they're staying three nights, which is the typical duration of an international visit, two full days in, the, uh, in this uh, magnificent wine region and three nights, by the time of the third night, guests are asking us, could we just have something simple? Uh, we've had quite a few very good and maybe rich meals. And so uh, we've always had a, a, a bar lounge uh, adjacent to our main restaurant, and we decided to add a small comfort food menu to that. Well, quickly we discovered that this was uh, very popular, and not only with our uh, international visitors and, and domestic visitors staying property, but also with locals who found it as a, a great alternative to going out to the local pub for, uh, for dinner. 
and the demand for this quickly outgrew the available space. So last year, we took uh, uh, an area that we'd not built out immediately adjacent to the Appalachian restaurant and built a new physical facility with a uh, beautiful floor to ceiling, uh, glass windows looking out on the, uh, the valley. And we've uh, implemented uh, what we call 375 bar and kitchen. And so it's a, a new sophisticated cocktail uh, bar with fabulous comfort food. And very, very popular. I think every guest who stays two nights or more has dined once at Appalachian and now once at 375. I remember the last of the third night we were there last time. I couldn't eat the Appalachian dinner because it was too much of a, three, of a good thing for three days. Is there a story behind the 375? So it, there's three parts to the story. The, it is our street address, 375 Sepplesfield Road. That's the probably the most public logical answer. Uh, it happens to be the capacity in milliliters of a half bottle of wine. And our daughter was born in March of 1975. That's great. You should have a little card inside the room saying, guess why 375 is the name. Before we get to the wines, which are so prevalent around the area, let's talk about the non-alcoholic experience that you arrange for our guests when they were, when they were with you as you would expect to find in a great wine region. There are magnificent experiences at wineries, but there's lots uh, more to do. So I think the one experience that, that we have that's probably a signature experience and most international visitors are keen for this is something we call breakfast with the kangaroos. So we have a driver who uh, picks up uh, a couple of the party at say 6.37 a.m. just uh, past the daybreak about a 10 minute drive over to a natural conservation park nearby, short walk into a clearing and set up a breakfast. And you're there and the local kangaroo are having their breakfast nearby. They, uh, uh, they're not very curious, so they don't come over and, and, and want human food, but it's a fabulous photo opportunity. And you are really just uh, 10 meters, 30 feet away from, uh, from the kangaroo. Uh, other uh, types of experiences, it's a, a fabulous wine valley for floating over in a hot air balloon. So on a crisp, cool morning, that's a lovely way to have a perspective over this uh, wine valley. Uh, we have uh, access to bicycles for guests. It's gently rolling hillside and easy to just get out, get a little exercise on, on bikes and, and, and enjoy the area. Um, there's a wonderful local market. So Saturday morning, and we encourage guests who've been with us on a Friday night to join our chef as he's purchasing from local farmers at the, at the market. Uh, a very natural uh, local situation in which uh, uh, this is a thriving uh, market. It's as authentic a local experience as, as one could have. Lots of craft and design now in the Barasa. Uh, since the uh, 15 years that we've been there, it's evolved from uh, being a winery destination to being a culinary destination. And now in the last four or five years, to what I'd call a cultural destination, which embraces the wine and the food and now art and design. And a terrific uh, center for that, just six or seven minutes from the Louise, uh, called Jam Factory at Sepplesfield. Lots of things that 
I, it, you can enjoy specifically in this region. So how many wineries are in the Barossa Valley now? And what, what do you think sets the Barossa apart from others? So uh, the Barossa has been a thriving winemaking region for over 150 years. So it predates the Napa Valley. It predates uh, many of the other wine regions uh, in New Zealand or Australia. And uh, it, it's a, a, an interesting quilt of relationships between the grape growers and the winemakers. About 600 local families, many who have been there five, six generations, that own the land and grow the grapes and really have a, a, an amazing understanding of the, the microclimate and the, the situation for the grapes they're growing. And over a hundred winemaking businesses, of which about 75 are open every day uh, to guests to come in and taste their product uh, at what they in Australia would call a cellar door, what they, maybe in the US you, you more typically call it a tasting room. Um, and I think what's uh, quite different than my own experience in places like Healdsburg and, and Napa Valley is that uh, the tasting experience is fairly intimate. You're not dealing with large numbers of people and not busloads coming in, except maybe at one or two of the large wineries. But by and large, you're going to be there either on your own uh, or with a few other couples and you got a lot of personal attention and you got a lot of understanding about the wines uh, that are on offer. Uh, I think one of the special things that we uh, offer to our guests is access to some of the winemakers who do not have tasting rooms uh, but are bookable uh, by a referral and there you're going into their winemaking shed, you're sitting at their kitchen table and enjoying the wines that they're pulling out of their private cellar. Uh, and you're listening to their stories. And these winemakers are almost universally, both male and female, very special characters, as you know as an Aussie. Yeah, no, and I've had some wonderful wine experiences. And, and I know you arrange half and full day wine tours when you're in the Barossa staying with you. And you take them out to, to different venues and different cellar doors or tasting rooms as you're talking about. Did you? Just go through what a normal sort of full day wine tour would, in, would in, include. Sure. Look, uh, typically, uh, we'll engage uh, a private contractor who has their own vehicle uh, who will come in and meet guests about 10 o'clock in the morning. There'll be a bit of discussion about types of wines that the party would like to see. If there's already a preference to go to a particular winery or two, that, that will be worked out. And then uh, probably go to two different wineries over the course of the morning, have a light midday lunch at one of maybe four uh, restaurants in the area, and then continue in the afternoon for two or three uh, additional uh, wine winery visits and back to the guest room about three or four in the afternoon time for a dip in the uh, infinity edge pool a nice nap uh, a bubble bath and dinner at Appalachian perfect day I've got it um, you've got some great other restaurants on the tours and, and I'd have to do a shout out to one of my friends who who owns part of one of them called Hentley Farms which is I know is a favorite of yours 
and a favorite of mine. And we had a great, um, great tasting there, which turned into a much more than a tasting. The Louise um, is very close to Adelaide. It's less than 45 minutes drive. So we have some clients who will take day tours to the city and other wine areas from the Louise, such as the Clare Valley, Adelaide Hills, and the Fleurieu Peninsula. Can you talk about those experiences for me? Sure. Okay. The Clare Valley, uh, it, just north of where we are, is world-renowned for dry Riesling types of uh, wines. And the Adelaide Hills, uh, about 30, 40 minutes south of us, is uh, Australia's premium uh, area for making Pinot Noirs and uh, cool climate wines. So uh, some alternative wine styles because the Barossa is typically uh, most well known for big red wines, the Cabernet Sauvignons, Shirazes, and, uh, uh, and such. Uh, the city of Adelaide, uh, where Helen and I have lived for about a dozen years, is uh, probably most like uh, say Austin, Texas or Portland, Oregon, a mid-sized city of uh, just over a million population uh, with a great focus on arts and culture. And uh, in the city, the uh, South Australia Museum has the world's largest collection of Aboriginal artifacts. And uh, people who might be interested to study a, a bit about this 40,000 year old culture will find uh, a really well curated uh, uh, visit and experience uh, there. So lots of things to do in a, a half day or a full day offsite. And again, back to, to the Louise and a comfort uh, and, a, and a private space uh, for, uh, for the same evening. Now Jim, with the pandemic and the lockdown that we've all been going through, and it's going right through the grape picking season, and I'm sure the grapes didn't realize they were in lockdown, did it have an effect on that at all? So uh, the year that was leading up to, uh, to the pandemic uh, was a pretty hot and dry year. And so the, the grapes were ready to pick earlier than uh, is, is, is typical in, uh, in the Barossa. So by the time the, the uh, pandemic became an issue in Australia about the 18th or 20th of March, 90% of the grapes had already been harvested. So the picking process was largely not impacted. The thing that the wine uh, makers were then faced with was that there's still labor work to be done to take the grape juice and ferment it and uh, get it to where it's ready to go to sleep in, in the oak barrels. And so most of uh, uh, the winemaking firms divided their uh, annual winemaking teams into two groups and people tended to work pretty much continuously for three days and then had three days off and the second team would come in for the next three days managing the risk that if somebody got sick the whole winery wasn't shut down at a point that uh, it needed attention and so uh, I think that was a very smart approach. Uh, it is one that has meant that all of the available wine that could be made here uh, did get made. Because it was hot and dry, uh, the berry size was maybe not as large as in some other years. So the quantity of wine from the 2020 vintage in the Barossa will be a, a bit lower than in other years. 
that also apparently uh, translates into higher quality because more concentrated than the juice and the flavors. So uh, these will be lovely wines to be tasting two or three years from now. Well, that'll be great to look forward to. And I'll have to write that down in my, in my diary to make sure we get the 2020s. Good tip, I, I recommend <laughs> As you know, we spoke with a good friend of ours, Penny Rafferty, who used to manage the Louise and now runs the Luxury Lodges of Australia in an earlier interview. And she, of course, lives very close to Louise. I've been to her house on several occasions and had some fine wines there. But she said a great story of how the community has banded together during this pandemic. Do you have any stories you experienced with the Louise community showing positive outcomes during this time of, um, of the pandemic? So look, I think the first thing to understand is we do live in a community. There are about 25,000 people who are full-time residents in the geographical area that's referred to as the Barossa and three uh, little towns that would be, say, more like uh, St. Helena and Calistoga and Napa City, if, if, you, if you guests are familiar with uh, the, the Napa Valley in Northern California. So uh, unlike perhaps uh, some of the fabulous members of uh, Luxury Lodges of Australia that are very remote, all of our employees are, are local residents. So um, when this hit, there was in the instant uh, issue for everyone uh, in the area of what's the economic impact going to be and how do we band together for however long this is going to be before visitors are coming back to us. So um, fortunately, the, uh, the national government in Australia very effectively and very quickly put in a, a pay supplement program for uh, employers. And so we've been able to retain our entire team uh, throughout uh, this period where we didn't have any work for them because and, and the borders to South Australia were closed and uh, there was a, a requirement that restaurants uh, were not serving at all. So uh, there was this uh, a, a dilemma of what do you do uh, for your employees? And there was a very effective plan that, uh, that, uh, that has worked out. The, the net result of that is now we are beginning to reopen on a staged basis and our entire team is back with us. And so we don't have to go through a big training, retraining uh, uh, scenario that, uh, that I think is, is people happy to be back together. The, the effect for the community at large uh, has been one of superb collaboration. Um, people who would be natural competitors are sharing best practices and helping each other uh, in a way that I find very Australian. Uh, and uh, in Australia, people are good mates. Uh, that's it's certainly come through at, at, in the best possible way. I, I think we're also, as an entire community, very, I'm gonna say proud of our state government that put in instantly very effective measures of lots of testing, absolutely top-notch contact tracking. So if somebody uh, was tested positive, within a few hours, all of the people they had been with over the course of the uh, past days 
were being contacted and were being asked to self-isolate and if they had issues to go to the hospital and, and such. And the net effect was that in a matter of about 10 weeks, uh, South Australia went to zero cases. And because the state has had its own state borders locked down, and if you come in, you have to quarantine uh, for 14 days before you can enter the community. It is continuing to be one of the safest places in the world. I, we're grateful for that because that's meant that the agony and pain and, and personal heartache that's being experienced now in many parts of the world, we're not experiencing. And so I think as the time comes, for visitors to begin to return, uh, they're going to find an absolutely wonderful place to visit. That's great news. And um, you know, we can't wait, the world can't wait until the borders are open for everyone to travel because travel, people love to travel. It's an inherent um, demand for it all the time. And people talk about a pent up demand and there's a huge pent up demand we find of people wanting to get out and travel. So as soon as borders open up, and as soon as Australia opens up and South Australia opens up, we'll have our guests down there enjoying those bottles of wine and um, enjoying their state, Louise. I, I have so many friends in, in America who say, Australia's always been on my bucket list. Uh, and yeah. I think now when the time comes to, uh, that it is appropriate to, to travel, it'll be one of the safest places in the world to go. It will be, and that'll make a big difference. Listen, Jim, I want to thank you for spending the time with me this morning and talking about your passion, the Louise and, and the Barossa Valley and how you got there. And, and now you're an Aussie, I can call you a true Aussie, mate. Um, so congratulations on that. Uh, congratulations on the new restaurant. Congratulations on um, getting Louise open up again. And I look forward to seeing you and Helen back when we're down there next time. Thanks a lot. I really look forward to you and Linda being in the Barossa. Okay, bye.